Good morning again. All right, so uh, this morning we're jumping back into Romans 9. Romans 9. So last week, last week we talked about the doctrine of election. We saw that, that those who come to faith are those who are called in the name of Jesus, elected and chosen by God himself. And we saw that the Israelites, that, that some of them did not come to faith. And we saw Paul wrestling and mourning over that fact. But we saw that throughout all of history that, that God has elected some and not elected others. That we cannot actually choose God. We cannot turn to him. We cannot save ourselves. So he must intervene. He must save us by his election, by the calling of Jesus. Now, that, that was a sobering sermon. That's a hard sermon. And I feel bad because I kind of left you hanging. And, and this came up during Sunday school. That How do we deal with a God who, who chooses to save some and does not save others? How do we say that that God is just? How is that God fair? What do we want to worship that kind of God? And that's, that's, Paul, Paul assumes that you have that question and that's where he goes. I'm like, I'm bellowing from the heavens right now. Sorry. <laughs> it'll, it'll fit the mood, I guess. Um, unfortunately. So, today we're looking at, at the justice of God. How can a just God choose some and not choose others? But I think beyond that, beyond that, this, Paul's going to kind of zoom out even further and ask the question, like, who is God really? And what is our relationship to this God of the universe? And, how, and what, is his, what are his purposes in election? What are the things that he prioritizes over anything else? And the answer to those questions are going to be difficult. This second half of Romans 9 is probably one of, one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. Not because it's hard to understand. It's actually really, really easy to understand. It's just really hard to swallow. It's hard to stomach. And unfortunately, I could, I could give you a lot of theology or philosophy that would make it go down easier. But the thing is, Paul doesn't do that. Paul actually, he, he hits us with the full weight and conviction of these realities and and he does so to humble us, to remind us of our position before God, and reminds us of who this God really is. And so before we jump in, I ask that, that you would have an, an open heart to receive these things. That this is God's word, this is who God reveals himself to be, if we are humble enough to receive it. So pray with me before we jump in. Father, we... We ask that you would help us to receive you as you are. Father, to be submissive to your purposes and to, to see you as, as the glorious God that you are, that we are your creatures and you are our creator. And so, Father, I ask that you would, uh, by your spirit, show us these things and give us uh, an ability to worship in the midst of them. Father, would we not grow hard-hearted to these things? but we receive them um, even with joy, for they, they glorify your gospel in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's read Romans 9, verses 14 through 29. 
Romans 9, verses 14 through 29. So we just saw election, and this is what we're jumping into. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wills, and hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? But what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. All right. This is a heavy passage. So we have a God who elects, who chooses those who will be saved who chooses who will have mercy and who will not. And the natural question then, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God unjust? And we naturally have this question because when we hear this, this doesn't sound fair. And we love fairness. And we have it in our, in our minds that, that fairness... And equality is the same as justice. That if everything is not fair and equal, it is not just. And we, we want a God who gives equal opportunity to everyone. We, in fact, want, want it so much that we would say, well, we don't want God to choose. We want to choose. We want the freedom to choose. But the reality is that if, if we had that freedom, we would never choose him. And so instead, God elects, God chooses. And when, when we ask that question, is God unjust in that? What does Paul say? He says, by no means. With absolute certainty, he can say, God is not unjust in choosing some. And then verse 15, he's going he's to explain it. Why is God not unjust? For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. All right, I've been wrestling with this this week because this doesn't seem very helpful. If our problem is, is fairness and God doesn't seem just, and then he says, well, I, I have mercy on some, I don't have mercy on others. I have compassion on some, I have compassion on others. That's, that's the problem. That's what we don't like. And so we don't see how this actually answers the question. But we have to zoom out a little bit and say, well, what is, what is actually just? What is justice? 
what is right. And the only way that it would be unjust for God to do this is if, if he made a, a promise to the contrary. If he said that he would save everyone and then decided to only save a few, that that would be unjust. He would be a liar. And we were right to, to condemn him for that. But Paul is saying here that from the very beginning, all the way back to Moses, all the way back from the original covenant, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's always the way it has been. And God isn't breaking any rules. He hasn't lied to the people. He has always had this relationship to his covenant of mercy. And that's where where we have to remember, what is mercy? Mercy is not bare justice. Mercy is not bare fairness. Mercy is giving people things they don't deserve, that they have not earned. They've actually earned the exact opposite. That it's, it's, it's holding back the punishment from people who deserve it. And that's not, that's not given universally. That's given to those who receive it specially. And we say, well, no, that's not fair. That's not fair. I have to, I have to push that back on, on us and say, do we really want fairness with God? Do we want him to be fair? Because if we want him to be fair, he should give us all what we deserve. And we have not chosen God. We have all chosen sin and death. We have chosen to be judged by him. We have chosen to reject the God of life. We don't want what is fair or else we all get death. But God, in his, in his love and in his mercy and his compassion, he has shared that with some. And that's where, that's where there's, this, there's this weird mentality in, in all of humanity that if someone gets a little bit good, no, that's not fair. Everyone should get good. And the, the reality is that in that, we're, we're condemning all of humanity. That if everyone's not saved, no one should be. But God is more merciful than that. All right, he builds on it further. So, first of all, God is not lying. God did not, did not promise something and then withhold it. It has always been according to his mercy and his choice, his will. In verse 16, So then, depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It doesn't depend on human will. All right, so if God, if God gave salvation based upon everyone's works, then if he were to give, give one person salvation and not another, he would have to, he has to follow the rules. And the rules would be based upon the law. Okay, did you do A, B, and C? Did you sin here? Did you not? If it were based upon human rules and the, and the law, God could unjustly take away salvation from someone who earned it. And we could point our finger at God and say, how, how dare you, God? How dare you not elect that person who deserved it? Well, thankfully, that has never happened. All right, that, that has never happened. No one has earned it. No one has exerted their will far enough that they have earned salvation. And so there's no justice, injustice in God taking away something that we have earned. No, he's giving something that we have not earned. At best, 
At best, we have dug ourselves into the hole. At best, we have prepared ourselves to desperately need salvation. That's as much as we have done in our saving work, is that we've created the need for it. It is God alone who saves by his mercy. And therefore, therefore, just as he can will that some receive that mercy, he can will that some do not. Look at verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. That God, in his relationship to, to Pharaoh, he, from the very beginning, he, he did not give mercy to some. He did not open their eyes. He did not open their ears to hear that according to his will, he, is, he can do that. He didn't break any promises. And that's where, okay, let's zoom out a little bit. Who is this God? Who is this God? This is, this is the God who is, who is not constrained by anything. At best, he is constrained by himself. So if he has to do anything, he, the only thing he has to do is, is keep his promises. Because he can't lie. He has to be good because he is goodness. He has to be just because he is justice. But we come up with other rules for him. And we say, well, God, if, if you're love, you need to save everyone. If you are God, then, then you need to be fair. And suddenly we, we turn ourselves into the gods. Or we say that if, if, if we're going to be saved, we should get to choose. You can't tell us who, who, who gets chosen. And the thing is, we have a God who, who throws off all of those chains. And he does not submit to us. Which is why we have such trouble with him. But God does what he wills. And he has every right to. Alright. So that brings up the natural follow-up question. These are natural questions that if you get it, you should have these questions. Paul asks, well then, he anticipates the question, well then, if, if you willed it, how do you punish someone for just following your will? Look at verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? What does that mean? What does that mean? Basically saying, okay, God, if, if, you, if you harden Pharaoh's heart, how can you punish God, how can you punish Pharaoh for having a hard heart? If you have willed that, that someone not come to faith, how can you punish them for not coming to faith? That isn't fair. They're just doing exactly what, what you have ordained. All right. This is where I, I could get philosophical with you. That we could talk about kind of human free will and, and God's sovereignty. And we could talk about how, how yes, we live 100% that humanity is free and responsible for their choices. And we believe 100% that God is sovereign and he ordains everything that comes to pass. 
And that by some mystery, those, both of those things are true at the same time. 100%, 100%, 200%, the mystery that we believe about God. All right, I could talk to you about the doctrine of sin and our slavery to it. We could talk about how, how there's the possibility of free will and choice when God has sovereignly ordained things. All right, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because Paul doesn't go there. Paul takes this really hard-to-swallow pill, and he doesn't smoosh it up and put it in pudding for us. He doesn't stick it in a piece of cheese so the dog will eat it. He doesn't do that. He gives it to us straight. And instead of answering all of our questions, he instead he gives us our own questions. He questions back. We see this in Job. We see this often when, when we start throwing questions at God. He doesn't just answer them all. He throws a question back. And this is what he says. Verse 20. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? He reminds us of our relationship to him. Who are you, O man? Now, man, man in this context is, is not a compliment. <laughs> Who are you, O man? This is the reminder that that we're dealing with the creator, the one from whom we get our very existence. And we're dealing with, with the perfect God, the God who, who is sovereignly ordained everything that comes to pass, who keeps the breath in our lungs, who keeps us alive every second. Who are we to question this God? And then to... To give an analogy to it, he gives us this, this incredibly humbling analogy. A very humbling analogy. Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? He reminds us that we, we stand before God as vessels, as, as jars of clay, before our creator and that our existence is dependent upon him. And, and the irony of this is that that is literally where we stand before God. That we are made from the dust. We are, we are made from the clay. That he breathes into us life. It is from, from him that we have derived all things. And who are we then to to assert our will to say that God is able to do certain things and not others. Look at verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? All right, so, so the, the potter, he's getting his clay. He sticks it on the potting wheel. He doesn't then sit there and ask, okay, clay, what, what, do, you, what do you want to be made into? And every time it says, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a, a beautiful vase, museum quality. I want, I want to be the, the object of splendor. No, sometimes he says, well, okay, you're going to be an ashtray. Like, so that, that's because that's, that's what I need you to be. And maybe you need to be a milk jug and you're going to hold milk. And that's, that's going to be your purpose. The clay doesn't get a, doesn't get a say. 
And notice that it's, it's, all, it's all one lump. It's all the same lump of clay. It's not like he takes the fancy clay and makes it into something fancy. Or like, oh, you're kind of low-quality clay. You get to be a plate. No, it's, it's all the same lump. He just does what he wants with it. And we submit to, to whatever we get turned into. All right, if you're not seeing the obvious parallels here, uh, they're they are incredibly humbling. That God, God creates us he creates humanity and he does with it what he wills. And that some will be used for splendor, some will be put in the museum, and others will be plates. That he has purposes, and purposes that, that we don't get to control. And that he has that prerogative as God, as the creator, to, to decide. All right, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? All right, there's a, couple, there's a couple of responses we can have to this. We can humbly receive this and say, you, you are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. I, I submit to, to your will. All right, we have, other, we have other choices. We can refuse to submit. And we can try to assert, no, I will be God. God, I'm going to tell you what you should do. I'm going to fight. I'm going to rebel. I'm going to worship myself. And the trouble is, what's, what's the problem with that? God is still God. That as much as the clay can protest, God is still God. And we can deny the reality or we can submit to it. All right, there's another response. There's another response, and we can deny that this is true. We can read this and we say, well, I don't, I don't like that, and I'm not going to believe it. That's not the God that I want. That's not the God that I like. And so I'm going I'm to take that part out. All right, what is that when you do that? That is idolatry. That is to take the real God and, and abandon him for, for one that you can contain. And what we end up doing is we, we say, okay, I don't, I don't like that you fashioned me from the clay, so I'm going to fashion my own, my own God from the clay. I'm going to make him look exactly how I want him to look. Now there's some benefits to that kind of a God. That kind of God, he'll never challenge you. He'll never ask you to do something you don't like. He'll never do something you don't understand. He'll never surprise you. He'll never put you in a hard place. He'll never do something you don't like. All right, but what else won't he do? He won't actually exist. He's a lie. He, he is a, a, a block of clay that you have created. And when God says that the greatest thing that, that ruins idolatry is the idol cannot save you. The idol cannot save you. You created it, and it cannot save you. This is hard. This is hard. We have to recognize our position before our creator. All right, so we talked about the justice of God. We talked about our position before God. It gets harder. It gets harder. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
Uh, now we're going to talk about the purpose that God has in this. The purpose that God has in election. And we start to see, okay, this is, this is a real God who has, who has plans going on here that I would never imagine, that I would never create. But we receive them nonetheless. Look at verse 22. What is God's purpose? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So what if God had a purpose? What if God had, had a reason that he does not choose some and chooses others? And he, he tells us the reason here. All right. So there's some vessels he, he gives glory to. He raises them up. And he lavishes on them all of the riches of the mercy in Christ. And he glorifies them. He makes them into those beautiful vessels. And the thing is, we would never fully understand how high we have been lifted. How much mercy we have received unless we saw what we really deserve. And that's where he has left some vessels to get their justice. To not receive mercy, to not receive glorification, to not receive grace. So that we'd see the chasm that is created without Christ, without the mercy and justice of God, or the mercy and grace of God. What is the difference between these two? What is the difference? It is not works. It is not because one willed to be here. This distance is grace. This distance is mercy. This is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the work of Jesus. And we would not see the difference between where we are and where we should be without seeing these vessels of wrath. These vessels of, of destruction. He did this in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. He did it for glory. See the, the beauty of this, of this chasm that should not exist without Jesus Christ. That would not exist without the work of Jesus. There's a beauty to this. We look at the Grand Canyon and we stand and we are in awe. We are in awe of the glory and splendor that's something greater than us going on. That's the point here. All right, what do we say to this? What do we do with this? First of all, we are extremely humbled. We are humbled. And we start to see we are not at the center of the universe. And, and ultimately, it's not all about us and our salvation, that there's a larger plan going on. And we, we question, we say, God, like, why don't you prioritize us and, and loving us and saving us and saving everyone? 
And God says he has, he has a higher purpose. He has a higher purpose of his glory. Of his glory. That he has a higher purpose of showing the glory of what Jesus Christ has done. To showing the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done. The beauty of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that that desperately needs to be put on display. And he shows us that that God's glory comes first. And that the, the whole purpose of humanity is to glorify God. And that's where if we are these objects of, of mercy, we should be constantly looking at this grace and rejoicing and praising God and basking in the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The purpose is to, is to stand before this grand canyon and and stand in awe of the beauty of the mercy and grace of God and Jesus Christ. That there is nothing higher than that. Alright, second. We receive a God that we cannot control. And we don't get to be God. And... And at some point, we have to admit that God knows better than we do. And to say that, that he has done things we cannot do. He's created every color. He's created our, our life. He's created the heavens. And that at some point, we're going to start asking questions and we're not going to understand the answer. And we have to accept that God knows and we do not. We have to start receiving things and, and, and trusting that we will not fully understand them. That is the nature of our God. That he does things we wouldn't do. He might even do things we don't necessarily like. But he is God. Third, it should change how we think about unbelievers. We talked last week about how, how Paul had unceasing sorrow in his heart. He was anguished for the unbeliever as we look at the, the unbeliever and, and their role in creation, we should be incredibly humbled. That their, their existence is to, is to show the glory of Christ and the mercy that we have attained and to put on display what, what we deserve. And we should be crushed that, that they have to have that. And that we are standing up here looking at this chasm from the top. that we only understand the mercy of God by, by looking at them. And that's where it's, it's incredibly offensive to them and their role to, to condemn them and judge them, to get angry at the unbeliever for, well, they're, they're ruining our country, they're, they're ruining our schools, they're, why are they so ignorant? Like, it's because they have been, been left in their sin. They have not received the mercy that we have received. And we should be vessels of, of mercy to them. That we should be giving them the gospel of grace. We should be giving them abundance of mercy, hoping that they might come to believe. We are all one lump of clay together. 
and we should give them the same mercy that we have received from Jesus Christ. Finally, finally, we need to see that this world is about the glory of God. That I get so wrapped up in that this world is all about the glory of me. And it's not, it's about the glory of God. And we need to stand and, and think about, okay, what, if this world is about glory, where do I stand in relationship to the glory of God? That we all glorify God, but are we going to glorify God by, by beholding the glory of Christ from the top or looking at what we have, we've missed? Looking at the mercy that we have rejected? And that's where we can, we can, we can get mad at this passage. And we can shut down and, and reject this truth. And we'll miss the whole point. We'll miss the whole point. We'll have gotten nothing out of this because, and I've seen it, that people are so like disgusted with the fact that this is how God works. That how dare God not save everyone that they refuse to let God save them. That you're so upset with God that you will not receive the grace that he is offering you today, right here and right now. And that's where I would, I would plead with you Receive Jesus. That Jesus Christ, when he came, he was a vessel of wrath. He was a vessel of destruction. And he gave mercy and compassion to everyone he met. And he did not get mercy and compassion in return. And in the greatest injustice, we think that God is unjust in, in not saving everyone. No, he's unjust in, in dying on the cross. That the perfect one, that God himself would, would become a vessel of wrath and destruction so that we might be vessels of glory and mercy. That when he was resurrected, he, he dragged us out, out of the pit with him to become vessels of mercy, to be glorified, to find all of the riches of the glory of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that's where I would, I would beg you today, receive Jesus. Receive the compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ. That he has already endured all of the wrath, all of the destruction for you if you will only receive him. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled before you. We are humbled that, that you would choose us. That you would reject Christ and choose us to be vessels of, of mercy. And Father, we mourn for the unbeliever. We mourn that, that our sin is so great that, that we would not even understand the mercy that is given to us without them showing it to us. and Father, we ask that we might be vessels of mercy that bring mercy to those who need it. Father, would you send us out? Would you break our hearts for the lost? Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Would you help us to, to, to love your glory more than we love 
anything else. To see the beauty and riches and, and splendor of your grace in Jesus Christ. May we worship and may we love the things that you have done in Jesus. Father, we thank you for him. We pray in his name.